Thank you. Thank you very much and welcome. I'm Father Mitch Packwell and welcome to EWTN Live where we bring you guests from around the world. Tonight, we'll talk about a Washington reporter who covered things throughout the world and she used her journalism skills to reignite her Catholic faith. Our guest is a Catholic journalist who covered presidents, dictators, actors, artists, and even a saint. As the first female news correspondent for ABC TV in Washington, D.C. back in the 1960s. She would describe herself as having been only a cultural Catholic at that time in her career. But later, her Catholic faith was reignited and deepened, creating new opportunities for service to the church. Here to tell us more about how her faith has affected her media career, please welcome the author of a book called From the White House to the White Cross, Mrs. Peggy Stanton. Ms. Peggy, thank you. So nice to be with you, Father. Thank you very much. It's nice to have you with us. Um, thank you for writing your book. You know, uh, one of the first things that I, I want to address, you were, as a young woman, were sort of floundering, looking around for what you wanted to do until you discovered what? 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 Yeah, well, when I up? was at uh, Marquette University and I was uh, a junior in college. Which, by the way, is where your father was a professor. He was. Mm -hmm. He was. He, uh, he was chairman of the marketing department there. Mm -hmm. I never did, you know, I'm always, look back on I'm sad I never sat in on a class of his. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I probably would have gotten a D. But <laughs> uh, when I was in college. I knew what I wanted a career to encompass. I wanted it to have, I loved history, so I wanted to history. I loved writing, I loved people, I loved adventure, and I wanted it, I wanted to make a difference. So I wanted it to have purpose. But I didn't know, you know, what career would encompass all those qualities. And so one night, I was watching the news and on NBC, and uh, a woman named Nancy Dickerson mm -hmm. was out in the field interviewing. She was a news correspondent. I said, that's, that's it. That's exactly what I want to do. I want to be a network news correspondent. And from that moment on, that was in my sights. I never, I never swerved from that. Okay. Well, I, even getting into the career um, you know, your story is interesting that you had a couple of choices and one, you started off in the news media working as kind of a gopher in yeah. the, the, the office, right? Well, because, because women, and believe it or not, in those days, because now I think women have practically taken over television news, mm -hmm. but there were no women. And someone, I remember a man saying, you know, there are only about 12 women in the United States who are doing news. So mm -hmm. the word was, get your foot in the door any way you, you possibly can. Right. So uh, I had two job choices. One was I could, I could 
sit in the wings and wait for a, a woman named Esther Von Houten to finally give up her hour and a half feature show she did on, the, on WTMJ radio, which sounded closer to what I wanted to do being on the air, or I could take a job really as basically a, a, a gopher. I wrote the news scripts for the men. I was the only woman in the newsroom. And someone said to me, well, what do you, what do you really want to do? And I said, I want to cover news. And they said, well, then get your foot in the door. So I took the lower job. And um, because of a happenstance, there weren't any men to cover a story when uh, a murder. A murder, yeah. It happened. <laughs> this is in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And, you know, the murder, if it leads, if it bleeds, it leads, is the yeah. story. So murder was a, always a big story. And especially if it happened in the morning, which it did. And there were no newsmen. They were all out on other stories. And so, but there was a cameraman. So I said, let's go. So I took the cameraman and we went down. And I had never interviewed anybody before, but I just <laughs> interviewed everybody I could. Well, the, one of the comments, you interviewed everybody except the bar stool. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> The guys really gave me a hard time, but it, it got on the newscast, and from that, that really started me being on the air. Well, one of the other areas that you went into, and, and this is something that at the beginning of the book, I was thinking, hmm, I'm wondering about this, uh, because you, you interviewed a lot of actors. You were covering Mo the making of movies. No, only only one. I was covering news, but uh, 20th Century Fox uh -huh. uh, through a big kind of road show. They are a big uh, what they call junket. Yeah. For news people, uh, most of whom were covering entertainment. I wasn't. Uh, uh -huh. So I, but I was the woman in the newsroom and they had the opportunity to send somebody over to watch the making of The Sound of Music, The Agony and the Ecstasy, and The Magnificent Men and Their Flying Machines. So that was Salzburg, Austria, that was Rome, Italy, and London, England. I mean, it was, a, it was my first trip to Europe. Uh, but I didn't know, you know, my mother thought movies were, you know, made in hell. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well, I didn't see. I she didn't might not see be that far off. <laughs> yeah, right, and they are now. Yeah, yeah, right. But uh, so I didn't uh, really go to many movies. I never read movie magazines. I, so I was really out of my element. But um, it, I wound up making a um, half-hour documentary on it, uh, and it got an award. Oddly enough, yeah. And but, you, you also, as you covered news back in Washington, you uh, then came I, in contact with, you know, various folks at the White House and yeah. a variety of political figures. Right. Well, I spent two years at the CBS affiliate, uh, WISN-TV in, in Milwaukee. And then, you know, the job was really good, a good job. And... Um, you really, the, the rule was you were not supposed to leave a good job to look for other jobs. Mm -hmm. You were much more attractive to an employer job than jobless. 
But after two years, because it was a good job and I was a good physician, I thought, you know, if I don't, but I still wasn't doing what I wanted to do, which was covering national, international news. And mm -hmm. I thought, I'm going to get so comfortable that I won't ever go. And I'll just end up, I'll never reach the ambition I had. So I quit the job, this really good job, and to everyone's shock and dismay, and I hopped in my little red Volkswagen and drove to Washington and started looking for jobs there. And, uh, but ABC, NBC, and CBS were not waiting for me on the mall, you know? <laughs> yes, yes. So I wound up for a while uh, being promotion manager for, for um, National Dry Cleaning Association. I mean, it couldn't have been farther away from the news. But fortunately, all the interviews I did en route, uh, then I uh, landed me with a press secretary for a congressman, and then from there, I went to being a um, correspondent for Metro Media News, and from there to ABC, all in a couple of years' time. And, you know, uh, one of the things I want to do is, you know, sort of move forward, because people have to read the various adventures, and you had a lot of them, you know, meeting, you know, people that were very important in our, our history, yeah. and, you know, you're part of it. But I want to move forward because you later describe how there was a certain emptiness in this. What was your own faith like as you were making these moves to get into the media and get into telling news and, you know, being able to interview these important right. characters? What was going on in your faith? Well, the problem is I always said, you know, and I came from a, a, a wonderfully devout parents. Uh, so, but, so you're you're probably more a cultural Catholic. You're, you go to church, your parents went to, you wouldn't think of missing mass on Sunday. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you went, my father was a daily communicant and I thought he was a terrific person. So I thought that must be a good thing to do, is mm -hmm. go to mass every day. And then I would say, but I would go, I'd be late getting there and I might be early leaving. That's no, I mean, you don't get anything out. And then I'd say to myself, why aren't I a better person mm -hmm. going to Mass every day? Well, it's because I wasn't putting anything in it. I was just showing up. Mm -hmm. So I describe it as being in the, in the pew, but not, or in the uh, pew, but not of the pew. In mm -hmm. other words, cultural, but not what, you're, what Christ called you to be, which is a disciple and a, an apostle. My mother was very apostolic which may, in a sense, may have turned me off for a while. Uh, but, um, and then I think what happens is you have all these exciting events happening and, you, and you, whether it's interviews or embassy parties or state dinners or whatever, and you, it strikes you, this is so ephemeral. You look forward to uh, an event like that, and you're, and that's the best, almost the best part of it. Then it happens, and then it's over, and it doesn't linger with you. <clears throat> but what I would discover sometimes is, 
if you did something that was hard to do, but good to do for, for somebody who's poor or marginalized or whatever, it may have been hard to do it, and maybe you didn't even look forward to doing it, but the afterglow lingered. Mm -hmm. You always, and I always noticed that, you always felt so much better after you did something that was the good thing to do. You know, it's an interesting process of discernment that you were, A, attentive to what brought you, uh, you know, like excitement and all but faded quickly versus what seemed off-putting but ended up bringing more interior mm. peace. Mm -hmm. uh, it, you know, St. Ignatius Loyola had experienced a very similar thing uh, when he would think about being a soldier and mm -hmm. a knight. Mm -hmm. He would be excited, but it right. left him flat. Mm -hmm while thinking about serving Christ mm -hmm. with the saints um, was something that was a quieter experience, but more lasting peace. Mm -hmm. it, it sounds like you were going through a similar process. And yeah, but also I found, of course, um, what the real awakening I had, uh, as so many people do on pilgrimage, Mm -hmm. I had never, never been on a pilgrimage, didn't have any desire to go on a pilgrimage. Mm -hmm. um, went, as I tell in the book, you know, because my daughter had heard about all these miracles in Medjugorje, some of which I had told her just to bolster her faith with no idea of wanting to go there. And when she said, well, Mom, why don't we go? I said, go, go? That's a communist country. Why do we want? She said, well, Mom, we've been every place else. Why would we not go? So when we went, and um, my, that's where the real conversion took place in me. But what I discovered was following Christ brought more, even, this surprises people when I say it, brought me more adventure, took me more places I never thought I would go. <clears throat> I never wanted to be a war correspondent, <laughs> which is what I ended up being during the Balkan War. Uh, but, I mean, you never know, as you, nobody would know this more than you. Yeah. When you start to follow Christ, you never know where he's going to take you, even hour to hour sometime, right? Yes. That is certainly true, and the, it, it's something that I have observed, you know, over my years as a priest, um, that the sinners are pretty much the same. <laughs> They're not that creative. Mm -hmm. You know, it's pretty much the same sins, and mm -hmm. you know, and we we try to help people when they confess to mm -hmm. learn to deal with improving. But saints, they are really creative, mm -hmm. and they do get into all kinds of adventures. Mm -hmm. And the less they focus on themselves in the adventure, the bigger the adventure ends up Be becoming. Becoming. Yeah. 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 So, so you went on pilgrimage to, well, then it was Yugoslavia, I take it. Yeah, it was still it was still a communist country. Mm -hmm. I remember when we climbed up Mount Krizovac, which had the Stations of the Cross, these helicopters were going 
over. I didn't realize it at the time. They were the communists. Yeah. Were, were observing the pilgrims. And, mm -hmm. and I mean, the communists treated, <coughs> there's a book that came out recently with the visionary, treated them terribly. Mm -hmm. Took them in and questioned them over and over and over again. Sure. I mean, there could be, why would they even want to fake it? You know, yeah. anyway, uh, so it was, you know, we were, we were kind of <laughs> in a little bit of, not really danger then. There was, the danger came when the Balkan War started. Mm -hmm. And then uh, pilgrims took a real chance to go over there and, and help the people. But this, uh, I'd like just to, before we, because you did have some pretty important adventures while you were there during the Balkan War. But one of the points is that you, this is where you began to find, you know, a deepening of your faith. That you're not just taking up space in a pew, but you are experiencing Christ and the Blessed Mother and growing in your faith more. Yeah, and they well, and I had I had never going to Medjugorje. I had never seen. I mean, I was living in Washington, D.C. I never saw anybody going down the street saying their rosary. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, I in was... In Washington, D.C., huh? Never saw that. Huh. Never saw... What a surprise. <laughs> yeah, what a surprise. <laughs> yeah. And, but you'd, I'd see people in, in Medjugorje walking along, men walking along saying their rosary while they're doing, you know, with their sheep behind them. And, and you'd see people at 3 a.m. in the morning walking up to Mount Krisevec. I mean, mm -hmm. there were stunning sights I just was not used to in Washington. But the, and as I, I'll tell you what really did it, Father. I don't know if I can, uh, it's hard to describe this because it, it was sequential mm -hmm. and you, you almost have to read the book to understand, but I'll try and telescope it a little bit. What really made a difference was I was really being after having been reluctant to go, uh, as I got there and being so impressed by the people and what they were living in and so forth and seeing the conversions happen, I was beginning to really think this, maybe this is really real. Mm -hmm. And so I was in church and I suddenly, it's like a voice in my head saying, I hate Medjugorje wow, mm -hmm. where's that coming from? And I thought, well, maybe that's from the Holy Spirit telling me this is not real. And so I kind of went along with it. And then all of a sudden, that voice said, and I hate God. And then I realized immediately who it was coming from. Yeah, certainly not the Holy Spirit. No, it was not. And then I thought, you know, that that is, it was like the serpent and the Savior were going toe-to-toe -to -toe on the battlefield of my soul. Mm -hmm. And the Savior won, thank God. I, I think this is an important point that a lot of people miss. There's, you know, St. Paul describes this, that we're not fighting against flesh and blood, right. but against the powers and the principalities uh, of this present darkness. And the, the forces of evil really want to destroy us or they really fight yeah, to yeah. win us over to doing evil mm -hmm. and 
some folks say, well, this is what's going on inside me, so it's okay. This is my truth. This is my reality. Yeah, right. And they want to follow that. Yeah. Instead of engage in the spiritual battle with hope and presumption that God should win your soul, not Satan. Right. It's a, it's a real battle to recognize whose voice is speaking to you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that was a, a terrific education to me. That, that and, and the funny thing is, and they call it in Medjugorje the tear thing. I mean, tears were, here I am in church, tears streaming down my face, and I can't control it. Mm -hmm. I can't control. It took the longest <laughs> before I could, con I never did really get control of it and, and, uh, and, until this young <coughs> woman walked up to me. And all she said was, how are you? And I said, you know, and I'm, I'm so embarrassed by this. And I, and I said, oh, fine, fine. And she walks away, but then as she walks away, I realized it stopped. The tears mm -hmm. have completely stopped. Mm -hmm. Why, I don't know. But I, they call it, they say there are two kinds of, um, who was it? Was it Thomas Aquinas or St. Augustine? There are two kinds of baptism, baptism of water and then baptism of tears of repentance. Mm -hmm. So I thought, wow, I must have had a mother load of sins because yeah. those tears were really coming down. But many, many people who go to Medjugorje experience that. Mm -hmm. you know, St. Ignatius also had a gift of tears that when he would celebrate Mass especially, that he just would weep uncontrollably. Really? really? Um, and in fact, his doctor had to tell him, uh, you better pray to, that that stops because it's ruining your eyes. So he did. Really? Yeah, I listened to the doctor. But it, it's, there, there is this quality of learning to experience both a repentance but also, as we know, there are tears of joy oh, yeah. as well as yeah. sorrow. Mm -hmm. And I think it's it, people experience that combination mm -hmm. that uh, uh, very much affects them yeah. emotionally. The, at that particular, those tears were, <laughs> those were real tears of, I mean, of, uh, you can even get into uh, an argument with God. I mean, I was going back and forth trying, and, and the tears kept coming. Mm -hmm. But the wonderful part was that God won. Yeah. Have you found that your prayer life is more lively or less? How, how would you describe, you know, your prayer life at, you know, since then? Oh, deep and tremendously. Mm -hmm. I mean, I... I, when I went over there, I, you know, even if I went to, to mass during the week, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe at the most a half hour a day is all I would pray. I now make sure I get to mass every day, every morning, mm -hmm. and I do a holy hour every, mm -hmm. every day. Mm -hmm. And the rosary, I try to do the whole rosary. I mean, this is not because of me. This is because of the grace coming from God. And, and, and that it made a huge difference in my prayer life, huge. That's another element too that I, I think is crucial. Prayer is not just some 
technique or gimmick that you can figure out on your own. Yeah. I, we have to be cooperating with the graces of prayer, but prayer is itself a, a, an invitation by God, and he draws us, and as St. Paul wrote in Romans 8, mm. that we don't know how to praise you up, but the Spirit prays within us. Yeah. You know, the, uh, this is a very important element of the, the gracious gift of prayer. It is, and, and it, it's startling when you read that, that God always is the one who initiates the prayer, mm -hmm. not us. He, even though we feel like we're doing the initiating, isn't that true, that it's God mm -hmm. who initiates the prayer? I think that shows up a couple times when <clears throat> in the Gospel of Matthew, and also in the first letter of John chapter 4, you see it's not so much that we know God, but that He knows us. That, I think, is what is going on in the gift of prayer, that He comes to know us. And <clears throat> if we don't let Him know us, He might say, like He did to the five foolish virgins in Matthew 25, go away, mm. I never knew mm -hmm. you. Yeah. You don't, you don't want to hear that from Jesus. You know I what it you. was, I think, is uh, a, a terrific prayer is, are you familiar with the surrender novena? No, no. Oh, it's a fabulous prayer where you, um, I, I think is, uh, is Father uh, Delindo or something, he's mm -hmm. an Italian, uh, very holy priest, and our Lord gave him these things where our Lord says, let me take over, surrender yourself to me, mm -hmm. let me, and I will handle everything. And you're terrified at first, oh my gosh, if I surrender, give him my, you have to say, uh, Lord, I surrender myself to you, take care of everything. Mm -hmm. The first time I ever said that, I was terrified. I thought, oh, my Lord, mm -hmm. what's he going to do? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. He doesn't always give you ice cream and cookies. <laughs> well, neither did my mother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and I'll bet you didn't do that no, for your children No, my mother either. didn't, for sure. Nor you to your children. No, yeah. no. So this is... Uh, this is an important thing to learn about God, that you trust him, but you don't know what adventure you're going to get into. Exactly. And one of the adventures you describe, uh, I, I think, uh, well, first of all, I notice that as after this experience of deepening your faith, you write a lot more about meeting saints uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, came, you know, you, you got to meet Pope St. John Paul mm -hmm. and uh, St. Mother Teresa mm -hmm. of Calcutta. You, yeah, I never thought in my lifetime I would actually be able to shake hands, to have shaken hands with two saints is just yeah. uh, however I was given that blessing. Yeah. I didn't deserve it, but it, it was... Because uh, yeah, one of the 
fine descriptions in your chapter on, uh, a, a, I think called a short lady, um, is when Mother Teresa spoke at the prayer breakfast oh. in Washington. Tell a little bit about that. Oh, that was that was one, probably of all of um, speeches that I've covered, that was dynamite, absolute dynamite. Um, the, it's every year there's an annual national prayer breakfast. It was started yeah. in Eisenhower's time. Mm -hmm. And um, <coughs> the House and the Senate and uh, the President and the Vice President, they're all there. And then in the audience, they have, they, there were about 3,000 people there full of, you know, uh, state leaders, mm -hmm. presidents of countries, and so forth and so on. This was a daunting audience. And the speaker is always somebody very famous, and is you never know who it is until that morning. And of course, they're on the dais with the president and his and the first lady and the vice president. And, and this is during the time of President Clinton. President and uh, is what uh, yeah, Hillary Clinton. Bill and Hillary Clinton. So um, Mother Teresa was invited to be the speaker, <clears throat> and. The man who ran uh, the prayer breakfast was a very good friend of ours named Doug Coe. And Doug called and said, you know, we've invited Mother Teresa to speak and she wants to speak. And, um, but uh, the archbishop who knew nothing about this, believe it or not, this breakfast, they had never invited him. It's largely Protestant right. run. And they had never invited the archbishop. And so he didn't know anything about it. All he knew was that she was going to be on the same stage with Billy, Bill and Hillary Clinton, and they were pro-abortion. And Mother Teresa, of course, was not. He didn't want her being used, right. you know, in photographs with the president and first lady that maybe um, she was showing some kind of approval of. of right. Yeah. So well, she. I tell, she, I tell okay. you what, hold that. Okay. Because I have to take a break. But I want you to finish that as soon as we come back uh, because that it's a, such a powerful story. So we'll finish that up. Uh, we'll take this break now and. Wait for our next, next exciting story, plus your questions, comments, and calls, so please stay with us. Welcome back. Now, want to encourage you to come to our 2023 EWTN Family Celebration. That will be on Saturday, August 26th at the Birmingham Jefferson Convention Complex right here in Birmingham, Alabama. In fact, it's located right where I-20 and I-65 meet. 
easy to find. <laughs> so if you can join us, go over to EWTN.com slash family celebration. Or if you wish, you can call 1-800-447-3986. And we ask you to register for this, but it is a free event. And we'll make sure we have enough room for you over there. Now, also want to let you know that the book that we're discussing tonight, From the White House to the White Cross, Confessions of a TV News Correspondent, is by Peggy Stanton, our guest. And the book is available at EWTNRC.com, where it is item number 5696. All right. Now, we have a couple questions coming up here, but I want you to finish the story about Mother Teresa at the prayer breakfast. The archbishop is concerned that she might be used, but what happens? So um, Doug tries to marshal people to speak to the archbishop. Well, fortunately, the archbishop uh, had been a bishop in Cleveland, and my husband's congressional district butted up against Cleveland. So he knew, um, he knew Bishop uh, Archbishop Hickey when he was Bishop of Cleveland, and the bishop knew Bill and trusted him. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and he said to me at the breakfast, he said, I got a lot of letters from, I think even Senator Kennedy and so forth, as, trying to get persuade him to change his mind. He said, but when Bill came to me, uh, th that's when I began to think about it. So <clears throat> they were very careful that Mother Teresa was only supposed to appear on the dais, not, not until she spoke, actually. So she didn't sit up there No, they didn't the want dais, her to yeah. sit, no. Uh, mm -hmm. She did after she spoke, but up until that time, no, it was a surprise outcomes, this tiny little nun. <clears throat> uh, but she was very courageous because she, 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 you know, said some things that er most people could agree with, you know, love and God is love and so forth and so on. <clears throat> but she, then she said, um, the greatest destroyer of peace in the world is abortion. And, of course, Bill and Hillary Clinton are sitting right there. And there was a tremendous burst of applause from the, and the only people who weren't applauding. I remember that. Yeah. And then she said uh, a statement that, that is so prescient today. I, it makes such a, a um, I think it resonates even more today than uh, it did then, because now we are faced with killings in banks and schools and uh, the theaters and, sure. and walking down the street. There's violence everywhere. And she said something. She said, if the mother can kill the baby in her womb, what is it for you and I to kill one another? Yeah. No, there's yeah. a profound reality to that. Yeah. And that brought another burst of applause. But uh, the, the wonderful thing about this is later, apparently, she 
talked with Hillary Clinton. And she said they were building a home in Northwest Washington for women in crisis, women who were um, single and were pregnant and going to have the baby. And she, she wanted Hillary to help her. And Hillary did. See? And two years later, when the uh, home was finished, there was a wonderful picture in the Washington Post. Hillary Clinton is at the podium, and she is laughing. I don't know what she obviously said something very amusing. And seated, seated right next to her are Mother Teresa with several of her nuns, and they're all laughing. Mm -hmm. Nice. And nice. I thought, you know, uh, she never, ever hesitated to say what was right and what was wrong, but she still was able to get along with people who disagreed with her, even mightily. And, and when she died, Hillary Clinton, to her credit, took the, you know, Air Force One and including Doug Coe and flew over to Mother Teresa's funeral. Yeah. That's an important, uh, important thing for all of us with all the tension that we have today. But one of the things we need to do is get to some of the questions okay. we have. We're going to start off with Mike in Pennsylvania. Mike, what can we do for you? Uh, good evening, Father Mitch and uh, Ms. Stanton. Um, I thank you for taking my question. Um, what, I, what my question is, uh, from Ms. Stan, can a Catholic Christian sincerely live their faith working in today's news media without seriously compromising it? Was the media, especially on the national level like ABC, more unbiased toward the Christian faith in the 60s and the 70s, unlike the 21st century media, particularly with the overturning of Roe versus Wade, where the media appears to favor the pro-choice perspective. And that's my question for you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I think it is more so today, but... More, more so... It more, more... I, I, more I'm, biased? Yeah, I'm yeah. saddened because I'm proud of my profession, news media, but I'm saddened that we have been so wrong on abortion because we're supposed to be... Uh, an organization, and we're supposed to be people who care about the poor and the vulnerable. Uh, and who's more vulnerable than the child in the womb who can't fight back when the uh, the doctor comes after him with a you know scissors? Um, it it it's so alien to what we're supposed to be as journalists. And when was it fifty, hundred years from now? It we, there will be a full realization in civilization how wrong this has been, you know, that 60-some million children have been lost. And I will be sad that my, my news media was on the wrong side of the issue. But I, I will say this. When, when I was in, young and covering news, and Roe v. Wade was passed, um, I was practically the only one among my uh, colleagues and even friends who were 
good people. I mean, they really, they weren't bad people, they were good people. But it, it, the question was still was when does life begin? We now know when life begins. There's no argument anymore on that issue. But that was an out, you know, well, I don't think it's life begins at da 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 da. But we could talk about, I mean, I just stated my case and it didn't alienate me from my friends. I mean, it, it's the way you go about it. It's how you present the, your point of view. You don't come at people with fists uh, curled. You try and, and uh, listen to their point of view, and then you give your point of view. And I think that that kind of open listening attitude must be on both sides. Exactly. This is something yeah. necessary, but we need to take as much initiative as we can. If we're going to be pro-life and pro-virtue, we have to seek that virtue in the way we present mm -hmm. our position. Exactly. We have a, another question from our studio audience. Ma'am, where are you from? Uh, Cranberry Prairie, Ohio. That's small town, <laughs> isn't it? My it sure husband is. was a congressman from Ohio. <laughs> um, I was just wondering, when you went to Medjugorje, how did the people that you went with react to your reaction uh, with the tears? And then also, too, as you began to obviously grow in your faith, how did your fellow correspondents, your fellow colleagues react to that? That's a very, very good question. Um, <coughs> for one thing, I hid the tear. I didn't even let my daughter know mm -hmm. what had happened because fortunately, as I said, as I'm walking along the path, I, I escaped from church and the tears are still pouring down. Uh, fortunately, when I, this mysterious young woman came up to me and very kindly asked how I was doing, for some reason, I'll never know why, the tears stopped. But, um, so nobody saw the tears, so uh, I didn't have a problem with that. But the interesting thing was in Washington, um, people were very intrigued. Uh, and, and it's funny because the more sophisticated people secular, in the secular world, who were something like a rosary turning gold was something that just intrigued them no end, whereas it wouldn't probably intrigue you, Father, because you'd say, well, you know, God can do that. I mean, yeah. it, if what really is impressive, if God changes a soul. Yes. Exactly. Yes. So, but, but this was something that I had a silver beaded rosary and it did turn gold. And people would come up to me, even an embassy function or something and say, I heard you had a rosary that turned gold. You wouldn't happen to have that with you, would you? So, so it became such an evangelistic tool that I started carrying it around with me. And it was amazing, even Catholic, non-Catholic, everybody, <gasps> and I had no explanation for it. No. Um, one of the, until many years later, one of the visionaries said, um, to Bill Simon, who was 
treasury secretary at one point, and he went over to Medjugorje, and his his links turn gold. As he's looking at them, they turn gold. And, and the he, links on the rosary. The links on the rosary. And so he was just mightily impressed by that. And, and Ivan said, it is just a little sign that you are on the right road, but you need to pray more. And I said, oh, well, that wasn't exactly a compliment. <laughs> Sometimes all of us need a little yeah. bit of upgrading. Yeah. Yeah, right, right, yeah. exactly. We have another caller. We have Debbie in Michigan. Debbie, what can we do for you tonight? Hello, Father Pacwa. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. I am just wanting to um, let Mrs. Stanton know that um, I did read her book, and it was wonderful. Um, I received it from my daughter, who is um, friends and uh, work, works for uh, Mrs. Thurber, Helena Thurber, who I heard. I know is a, Helena. Yes, acquaintance of her, right? And she um, she gave my she had the book, gave it to my daughter because she knows that I like reading religious books, and it was wonderful. Thank and you. I was wondering, um, what would you think? I've never been to Medjugorje. Is, is it, do you know if it would be safe to go there at this time? I mean, I don't know. Are you stake, I don't know if you're still making trips there or pilgrimages there. It's probably the safest time, a lot safer than when we went during the Balkan War. No, it's very safe to go. Okay. Yes, I was just wondering that. I, yeah, I read your book a while back, and I, I'd love to hear you talk about this with the rosary. I had totally forgot about that. My daughter is actually over here right now. Um, and we were just talking about the book. I, did you read it, Maria? No, 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 she didn't read it. But um, it's a great well, book. Why not? I, you're like the dentist. We couldn't see it over the phone anyway. <laughs> Well, thank you, Debbie. Thank you very much. Uh, one of the other things that has happened as a result of you experiencing this deepening of your faith, this kind of conversion that is a deepening conversion rather than just a complete turning right, right. anew, is that you became very involved in the Knights of Malta, mm -hmm. Knights and Ladies mm -hmm. of Malta. Mm -hmm. And that's why your title includes from the White House to the White Cross. The White Cross is the symbol of the Knights of Malta and the Ladies of Malta. You know, what, what got you involved in that? In Malta, well, and it's interesting that I didn't even realize that the, the White Cross, I never thought of the Malta White Cross until uh, I think it was last year, I was at the investiture in New York when we invest new um, candidates become dames and knights of Malta. Mm -hmm. And for the first time, we all heard this hymn about the White Cross. And uh, the book was being sold at that, at that particular uh, meeting. And, and everybody in back, it dawned on me, I thought, oh, it wasn't just the white, I was referring to the white cross on type of Mount Kresevec, mm -hmm. but it actually also led me to the white cross in Malta. I mm -hmm. would not have become a dame of Malta 
if it hadn't had that conversion, if the White Cross in Medjugorje hadn't come to bring about my conversion in. And one of the aspects of the Knights and Dames of Malta is that they are oriented towards service, mm -hmm. especially you know, originally for the uh, pilgrims right. uh, in Jerusalem, uh, but also for other right. caring for the poor and, right. and the right. sick. Yeah, our charism is uh, actually we're the, uh, the oldest lay religious order in the church, almost goes back almost a, almost a thousand years. Mm -hmm. Started in Jerusalem by Blessed Gerard, but it we have the charism, care of the sick and the poor, defense of the faith, and world peace are the three. But we're, I think Malta is most known for its service to the poor. And for instance, one of the best things we do is we go to Lourdes. Every year we charter a plane and we take sick people or malades, we use the French term mm -hmm. uh, for sick people called malades. We usually take about maybe 54 and we have a lot of medical people there too. And we take them to everything, to, to all the services they want to go to and all the baths and so forth and so on. Um, and it's a wonderful, wonderful experience. Uh, it, it just um, touches so many elements of your soul, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and to see, I think one of the thrills for me is to see the malads. Here are some people very ill with cancer, or we've had ALS, you know, the Lou Gehrig's yeah, yeah. disease and everything. And you, you know, they're going on a long journey. They're going with people they don't know, they've never met before. They're going to a place they've never been. They don't feel well. So in the airport, you notice the, you know, kind of anxiety, natural anxiety they would have. What's going to happen to me over there making this long trip? But when they come home, when they come home, they are glowing. They, mm -hmm. with a, uh, now they have a hope, of course, of that will I be healed physically. But they always say, you know, I came, like one video I made about a man, and, and, and the, he does most of the narrating, how he came, he came with um, uh, MS, and he, he really was expecting a physical cure, and how do I act, and what do I do when this happened? And of course, it didn't happen, and he said, but that wasn't it at all. I learned that wasn't it at all. It was, it was what the way the Lord and the Blessed Mother and touched my soul and touches our soul and how people learn to cope with what they have and have a whole new reality about it. Sure. You know, I think one of the important elements, we've just got a couple of minutes left, but one of the important elements of your book is that you took on a career with great adventure. You were a decent person, or, you know, most folks would say a good person who's moving forward, uh, blazing 
a new way, a, a woman pioneer in this industry of news broadcast and reporting, uh, and doing fine by all standards. And yet, you came up against the hollowness of the merely human and the worldly. Mm -hmm. And you sought our Lord and moved into it. And I think that this is not just about the news media, but all of us in every kind of job, career, task, vocation, mm -hmm. all of us can follow, as you did, a decent, good path, mm -hmm. and yet still find that you need God mm. at a more profound level, and that He just kicks everything up to a whole new kind of life, and, and new, as you said, new adventures. Mm. And I think that's one of the important things for, for people who feel you know, sort of this, eh, Mm. Life is kind of... Is eh, that all there is? Yeah, exactly. The I, old I remember looking in the mirror at one point and saying, and this is when someone had recognized me, and, you know, fame is important to you at that point, <clears throat> and, rec and, and, and I, how I really didn't like that. And yeah. I looked in the mirror and I said, uh, it was in a ladies' room, and I looked in the mirror and said, is this all there is? And this is a very important thing. So I want to recommend people to take a look at this book. It's called From the White House to the White Cross, Confessions of a TV News Correspondent. It's written by our guest, Peggy Stanton. You can get it at EWTNRC.com. It's item number 5696. And she has a second book, too, about... The order. The, the, yeah. the order of Malta is called the Order of Malta, Minutes with the Catechism. It's sort of a pocket guide to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and also by Ms. Stanton. And you, it's item number five nine three one, available through wtnrc.com. I'm afraid we have just about run out of time. Thank you for being with us. Thank you Thank for writing your Thank you for inviting books. me. It's been delightful to be here, Father. And may the Lord bless you and all of our viewers, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And we can bring Peggy Stanton and all of our other guests and programs and specials only because the network is brought to you by you. So please remember to keep us in between your gas bill, your electric bill, and your cable bill, and we'll be able to pay all of our bills too. <laughs> God bless you all, and to your dads, have a great Father's Day. <laughs>